Welcome to College Street Victory Church. You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Matt Funk. Well, welcome to Jurassic Park. Um, I'm so excited to get to share this message with you guys that's based on one of my favorite movies. Um, It's such a cool movie. You think about like dinosaurs being brought to life. And so the very first clip that I show is it's kind of an iconic moment where the paleontologists that have been asked to come to this island, they see dinosaurs for the very first time. And you can just see the look of amazement on their faces. Like they're just blown away. And so we're introduced to some of our main characters here. Um, We have Dr. Alan Grant, who is a paleontologist, um, Dr. Ellie Sattler, who is a paleobotanist, and Dr. Ian Malcolm, who's a chaotician. And they've all been called to this island by a man, man named John Hammond. So he's actually the owner of this island. He's the visionary behind the theme park, Jurassic Park. And he owns um, a genetic engineering company that figured out a way to create these incredible creatures. And so they've been called to the island because somebody died and they have to do a safety check. And so they don't really know what they're getting into until they get there and that moment when they see those dinosaurs in real life. They see this giant Brachiosaurus. He's just like eating at the plants and they're pretty blown away. And I think it's a kind of special moment when you really think about that, that they spent their lives looking at the fossils and the bones of these creatures and these extinct plants. And then to see a living being dinosaur in front of them, that would be pretty amazing. And so they're just so blown away by it. They've got such a like kind of childlike excitement and wonder in them. And you can see it in John Hammond too, um, the owner of the island, as he kind of experiences it through them and how excited they are. But you also get a bit of a different reaction from another character who's along for the ride. And his name is um, jo- Donald Gennaro. And he kind of like whispers under his breath when he sees everything. Like, we're going to make a fortune. We're going to make so much money. And he kind of gives you that attitude that there's there's some underlying greed and pride that's going to play a pretty big part in this movie. And we will see that unfold. But... We'll get to that a little bit later. In this moment, though, they're just, they're so blown away looking at this kind of idyllic picture of these beautiful dinosaurs walking out of the water. It looks like such a, yeah, beautiful, perfect place, but we know that it's not going to stay that way for long. And that's kind of where I tie things in with my message, looking at the beginning of our world and how things were perfect, but they took a turn for the worse. Oh, well, thank you so much for that welcome. <laughs> that was awesome. Well, I'm very honored to share with you guys today. I mean, wasn't that such an awesome clip? I love that clip. I love like um, Dr. Ellie's face when she sees the dinosaur for the first time. That just like, like Laura Dern is amazing. Clearly she like impacted my style choices today a little bit. <laughs> We wanted to just kind of throw it back in a lot of different ways. Um, but yeah, we're bringing it back to 1993. This is the original. <laughs> I'm not sure why you cheered for that. but <laughs> I mean, I, I was two then, but you know. <laughs> um, but that's when the very first Jurassic Park movie came out. And it took the world by storm. Like it spawned all of these different 
um, follow-up movies, there's TV shows, there's merchandise, like all of it. So show of hands, um, how many of you have seen at least one of the Jurassic Park movies? Oh, that's a lot of people. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, they're pretty great. Um, so I saw the first one, I mean, maybe at an age that I shouldn't have, but I'm not going to blame my parents. My mom is actually here today. She's here, which is cool. <laughs> but I mean, it was, it was the 90s, like, you know, the 90s. <laughs> I don't think I have to really explain it any more than that. <laughs> um, but seriously, that movie gave me an irrational fear of dinosaurs, which don't even exist anymore. Um, but at the same time, it really fascinated me. I mean, what kid didn't go through a phase of being like low-key obsessed with dinosaurs? I totally did. I thought they were just incredible. Because you just, there are these creatures that were huge, and all we really know about them is from bones that are left behind. Nobody actually knows what they really look like. So they are really like just these fascinating creatures. And so is it any wonder that a movie about bringing them back to life took off the way that it did? So I'm going to give you just a short rundown of the movie for those of you who haven't seen it or kind of just need a little refresher. And then we're going to go into some of the biblical truths that I was able to pull from it. So... We have um, John Hammond, he's the older fellow in that clip, and he's the one who started this whole park. He's a very wealthy man. He owns a company that does like genetic research. And so they brought dinosaurs back to life, and he wants to create this whole theme park on this island, kind of like in the Caribbean. And unfortunately, somebody dies and gets like eaten by a raptor, which isn't really good. And so he has to bring in these um, people to check it out and give it a safety check, give it an A-OK -okay so he can continue on with just building the theme park and opening it up for the general public. And so he calls over, um, it's Dr. Alan Grant, he's a paleontologist, um, Dr. Ellie Sattler, she's a paleobotanist, Ian Malcolm, who's a chaotician, I don't really know what that means, but it's something <laughs> to do with science and theory and stuff. And, um, and then Donald Gennaro, he's a lawyer. He's the one who is like, we're going to make a fortune with this place. He's kind of the like slimy character in the movie. But anyways, that kind of gives you an idea of the characters that we're in, we have in this movie. And so they show up to the island. They don't really know what to expect. And then they see that. And you see they're just incredible, kind of like childlike wonder in the way that they react to seeing these massive creatures. It's really fun to watch that. And I mean, if you guys have seen the movies or you've heard of them, you know that things do not go according to plan, which is pretty unfortunate. But we're going to get into that in a little bit later. So since we're starting at the beginning of this franchise, I thought it would be really fitting to start at the very beginning and I mean the very beginning of our world, and the very beginning of our Bible. And so the Bible opens with this beautiful picture of God creating literally everything. He creates this our world by just his word, his spoken word. And so all he had to do is speak, and he created the universe. He created the earth, the sun, the stars, the moon, plants, animals, all of it. And he created us. That was kind of like the finale of his creation. He created mankind in his image. And so we're going to read from Genesis 1, 26 to 27. And it reads, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, 
and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. He blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's a pretty beautiful picture. I mean, God created us, men and women, to rule and reign over his creation. I mean, to take care of it, to tend to it, to subdue it. That's kind of a big word. And it's a, it is a beautiful picture. I look at that image in that first clip where they're looking at these dinosaurs coming out of the water. It's so beautiful. It looks like this beautiful, picture-perfect place. In this idyllic world, there's nothing's wrong. There's no wars. There's no fighting, no death. In the garden, it's just, it's just life. And it's life with God, where we get to walk with him in the garden. But I mean, if you've lived in this world for any amount of time, which we all have, then you know that that's not the case anymore, unfortunately. We no longer live in that perfect garden. We're surrounded by just really hard things. Sickness, death, war, poverty, all these hard things. And I mean, you're probably thinking that this world we're living in, it's so far removed from that beautiful, peaceful place, that garden. So I mean, where did it all go wrong? How did we get where we are today? So we're going to dive back into the movie, and then we'll answer that question. All right, so this next clip that um, I show is the infamous lunch scene. So it starts off with John Hammond talking about um, the park and all the attractions and just how incredible it all is. And something, it's a phrase that comes up quite often in the movie that he says is, we spared no expense. And you can tell there's, there's an underlying kind of hint of pride in his voice. And Donald Gennaro, he's there as well. And he's talking about how we can charge as much money as we want because people will pay thousands of dollars per entry just to see these creatures. And um, John Hammond, he says, well, you know what? Like, well, I want everybody to be able to experience this. And so Donald Gennaro is like, well, we'll have a coupon day. Like, and they both kind of just laugh about it. But yeah, you can really sense that pride and that lack of humility. And Dr. Ian Malcolm speaks up and he kind of speaks into that. And so I'm going to read his quote here because I think it's really powerful. So he says, the problem with the scientific power you're wielding is that it didn't require any discipline to obtain it. You read what others had done and you took the next step. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves, so you didn't take any responsibility for it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses to accomplish something as fast as you could. And before you even knew what you had, you patented it, packaged it, and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox. And now you're selling it. Wow. There's, there's a lot there. I feel like that even in itself will preach. But he finishes off this scene with saying that the founders of the park were so preoccupied with whether or not they could create something like this they didn't stop for a moment to think if they should. And I think that's such a powerful phrase. And it's something that we're going to dig a little bit more deeper into as we continue on. That's like, honestly, that clip was what sold me on doing this movie. There's just so much in it 
But I love that, that he says that they were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. I think that's something, it's a pretty powerful thought. So let's bring it back to the garden. We're going to talk about some of the things that happened in the beginning. So everything is in its place. We've got Adam and Eve, the first humans. They get to walk in the garden with God. I mean, think about that. They get to walk with God in the garden. I think that's such a beautiful picture. And like, they, they're they naked. They're not worried about what they have to wear. Like they just, it's a great world. <laughs> it's a great place. And they don't have any shame. And I think it's such a beautiful picture of where they're at right now. But there's just one catch. So Genesis 2, 15 to 17 reads, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to tend it. The Lord commanded the man saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For on that day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. So there's just one thing one thing they can't do. They can eat from any tree in the garden, any and every tree. It's just that one. Don't eat from that tree, that one thing. (laughs) And I think, I mean, many of us know what happens next, but if you don't, we're just going to read from Genesis 3 together. A strange interloper, a serpent, enters the picture. And one moment, it's just one moment of doubt, pride, mistrust, It changes everything. So we're going to read from Genesis 3, verses 1 to 7. Now the serpent was more cunning than any animal of the field which the Lord God made. And he said to the woman, Has God really said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You certainly will not die. For God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll become like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that tree was desirable to make one wise, She took some of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves waist coverings. Now there's a whole lot to unpack in that. And we're not here for like hours and hours long message on the origins of sin. But I found my first point in this story, and that is... Forbidden fruit will always let you down. Well, it seems that Eve's understanding of the tree was already a bit off. I mean, possibly from hearing it secondhand from Adam, she still ultimately knew the truth. She did know that tasting that fruit, it would lead to death. And like why she even would entertain A conversation with this strange creature questioning God's word is so hard to understand until we look at our own lives. I mean, after all, what it said, it sounded pretty good, right? Like your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. 
what Eve failed to remember is that she was already created in the image of God. She didn't have to do anything to be like him. And that fruit, it was a delight to the eyes. I mean, how many times have we had moments like that? It looks good, so it must be good, right? Just like Ian Malcolm said, we might have the ability to do something, but that does not mean that we should always do it. Eve could just reach out her hand. There was nothing blocking her from it. She could just reach out and grab that fruit. But did it even like cross her mind to consider if she should do it? She would have her eyes opened to the knowledge of good and evil by her own hand. But I don't believe that's what God intended for her or for us. My second point is just because we can doesn't mean we should. God made it so clear, like so abundantly clear. They had the freedom to eat of any tree in that garden, except that one tree. They could have enjoyed living in this beautiful garden world, exploring the wonders of creation without the fear of death, sickness, any of that stuff. But that one tree was just too tempting. That one tree that was in arm's reach. Not one act of rebellion that Adam and Eve partook in, it changed this world for the worse. And while they didn't die immediately when they ate it, they, that whole act of sin, it welcomed death into the picture. It welcomed death, shame, decay, fear into God's perfect, beautiful world. And they were expelled from the garden. That's a really sad story. And honestly, if we were really thought about it, how many of us, we would have eventually done the same thing. I think sometimes we think we wouldn't, but, but we would. We know our nature. <laughs> we sin and we miss the mark daily. And our little sins, they mirror this first one and that they might not lead to immediate death, but they breed consequences that hurt ourselves and they hurt others. So going back to the movie, I mean, things are not going well. They are not going as planned. People are getting eaten by dinosaurs. It's really bad. <laughs> um, so a rival company, they sabotage the computers that are running all of the systems, releasing like the T-Rex and the Raptors. And yeah, it's just going really terribly. And to be honest, it's kind of a perfect picture of what unbridled humanity and sin does in this world and in our lives. It's pretty sad when we don't really consider the weight of our actions and how they can impact others and those around us, they are hurt. People around us are hurt. Adam and Eve's one sin, it set the course for our world, done a path that none of us wish we were on. Let's take a look at our last clip. So we're at our final clip um, in this message, kind of based off of Jurassic Park. And we find um, John Hammond, he's sitting there in the cafeteria eating out of these giant pails of ice cream, which is kind of an odd picture. Um, but it's pretty clear in this moment that things are not going well at the park. Um, the electricity is cut off, so that's why he's eating all this ice cream because it's just going to go to waste anyways. Um, and there's been a lot of really bad stuff happening. I mean, people have died. People are missing. Like Dr. Alan Grant is missing in the park with um, John Hammond's grandchildren. 
and they don't know where they are. And um, Ellie actually comes and she joins him at the table after she has just been wrapping up wounds on Dr. Ian Malcolm because he's also injured. It's just not a great picture. There's been a lot of really bad stuff happening and it's just taken a terrible turn, this kind of beautiful park. And so in this moment, John Hammond starts kind of reminiscing about his past and the reason why he ended up wanting to create this amazing park in the first place. And so he talks about um, something that he created. It was called Petticoat Lane when he had moved from Scotland to America and it was a flea circus. So if you know anything about flea circuses, you know that they're not real. It's basically little kind of animatronic rides and carnival things that are happening, like a little trapeze that bounces and a carousel that goes around, but there's no real fleas. And he said when he had made that, there were little kids that would look at it and they'd be like, oh, I see the fleas, mommy, I can see them. But it wasn't real. It was all an illusion. And you can really hear his heart in this moment that he wanted to do something for people that was real, something that they could see, something that they could touch, something that wasn't just fake, but something that was a real thing they could experience. Um, and it's really unfortunate because obviously things didn't turn out the way that he had hoped. And Dr. Ellie, she kind of speaks up in that moment and she's like, well, you know what? Like you can't, you can't think your way through this. You gotta, you gotta feel your way through it. And as soon as she says that, he's like, you're right, you know? I'm going to do things better next time. Um, I hired the wrong people. We were too reliant on animatronics. He's kind of putting the blame in other places. But he says, next time, it'll be better. Next time, it'll be flawless and we'll have control. And Dr. Ellie, she's not going to let it slide. She's like, you think you have control of this, but you don't. You don't have control over what's happening here. And it's pretty clear that if they try this again, it's going to end badly every single time. And she just, something she says too is that they didn't have enough respect for this place and for what they had done. And again, it just really speaks to that lack of humility that some of these characters have experienced throughout this whole story. And so at the end of her speech, she kind of just, she takes a moment and she picks up a spoon and she kind of decides, oh, well, well, I'm going to have some ice cream now. So she takes a spoonful of ice cream and she's like, you know what? That's really good. And John Hammond, he ends the scene with that saying that he just says throughout the whole show, spared no expense. So as we can see, John Hammond, the founder of Jurassic Park, he had a big vision for what he wanted to do, what he wanted to show people and you can hear his heart in this trip, in this clip. You know, he truly did have good intentions to show the world something spectacular. You know, not an illusion, but something that they could see and something they could touch. But it's clear that in spite of his good intentions, things went horribly wrong. And Dr. Ellie, she's not going to let him just explain it away. In spite of his good intentions, it's also very clear that pride was a driving force behind his creation as well. In Proverbs 16, 18, it reads, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. It's a pretty hard verse. So it, and I think it's clear at this point that, I mean, we can all relate. And if you've seen any of the later Jurassic Park movies, 
they are stuck in this perpetual pattern of doing the same thing over and over again. And it doesn't work. Like, when are they going to learn? Like, seriously, the dinosaurs were not meant to live in this time, in the 20th or 21st century. It just goes bad. People keep getting eaten and dying and they just keep doing it. Like, there's what, six movies of that happening. (laughs) Just like, come on. But look at, we do that. Don't we do that? I, I know I do. <laughs> We've been doing the same things over and over and over again for generations, repeating the same mistakes. Um, my friend Carrie up there on the lights, she reminded me of a saying that when we do that, when we do the same thing over and over again, expecting the same results, that's insanity. Or expecting different results, sorry. That's the, like, the definition of insanity, That's crazy, but we do that. We're crazy. (laughs) And so where is the light at the end of this tunnel? Like, I don't want this message to be a downer. I think it's truth, and I think we do need to address it. But at the same time, this isn't the end. This isn't the end of the story. So I'm going to read a verse from Romans that I think is really powerful. And this is kind of the turning point. So for the sin of this one man, Adam, cause death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will triumph over, will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So point three I wanna share with you guys is choose grace simple, just two words, choose grace. Jesus really is the answer. And I know that might sound like a Sunday school answer or a cliche, but it is true. I would encourage you to read through all of Romans 5, 12 to 21 on your own time, because it's this beautiful contrast of Adam and Eve's sin, but the redemption that we receive through Jesus, if we so choose to receive it. While that grace is freely given, we still need to make that choice to accept it. Ephesians 2, 4 to 5 reads, But God, being rich in mercy and because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But you know what? We still need to confess that Jesus is God We still need to do that, that he is the Lord of our lives to receive that grace. And you know what? There is forgiveness for our wrongdoings. You know, we do that. We have those cycles where we keep doing the same thing. There is forgiveness for that. And like Pastor Charmaine said last week, we don't have to clean up our act before we receive it. I mean, we often become like John Hammond, where he's like, next time, next time it'll be flawless. Next time I'll get it together. Next time I'll get it right. I won't make the same mistakes again. But you know what the key word is in that? I, I'll get it right. I'll, I'll do better. But we can't do it. I know because I've tried and I know you all know because you've tried to. You've tried to do it on your own and it just doesn't work because we were not meant to do this life alone. We have a savior who loves us 
and he wants to do life with us. He has his arms wide open, ready for you to just come running in, brokenness and all, all of it. He wants you so that you can be made whole in him. He wants you to bring all of your burdens, all of it, all of your brokenness, because he can handle it. And so that brings us to today's takeaway. And it's a question. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I Just ask yourself that question. What am I waiting for? Forgiveness and a fresh start is just a heartfelt prayer away. It really is. So what are you waiting for? You know, if you don't know a whole lot about Jesus, He's God's Son sent down to this earth 2,000 years ago, and He lived a perfect, sinless life. And you know, He experienced all of the same temptations that we did. He experienced a lot of the brokenness that we do, but He didn't didn't sin. He didn't fall prey to that sin. He died. He died for you and for me. On a cross, they nailed Him to that cross. But you know what? When they nailed Him to that cross, they, they nailed your sin to it as well. And your sin and your shame and your brokenness. He took all of that on himself in that painful death. But you know what? That wasn't the end of the story because three days later, he rose again from the grave and he declared victory over sin and over death. So it has no hold on you anymore. When you accept that grace, you just got to accept it. And so I'm going to lead you all into a prayer. It's a powerful prayer, but it's a simple prayer. Asking Jesus to come into your life. When we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we are saved. So I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes and bow your heads. We're going to pray this aloud together. Whether you've prayed it before or not, I want us all to pray it together so nobody feels alone. And if this is your first time praying it, I would ask that you pray it with your whole heart. You just lay it all out for him. So let's pray together. Say, Dear Jesus, I admit that I have sinned. I've missed the mark. I've fallen short. But I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and you rose again, declaring victory over sin and death. I confess that you are God. Thank you for loving me in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm going to ask our lighting team just to bring up the house lights a little bit. If any of you prayed that prayer for the first time, while everybody still has their heads bowed and their eyes closed, I would ask that you put your hand up. Just put it high up. Thank you. Put it high up so I can see it. Thank you. 
that's so awesome. Thanks, guys. I see you. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands back down, but thank you. And I also ask that if you're coming back to God, if you know, like, I've been, I've been far away from Him, but I prayed that prayer and I meant it. Would you put up your hand? Thank you. that's awesome whenever any soul comes back or they come to God for the first time there's a party up in heaven so put your hands together guys let's give it up for Jesus wow that was awesome so good well we have one more step for you guys that we always want to open it up for every single service we don't we don't miss a service where we do this but we open it up for baptism. And so baptism is this beautiful picture of us dying to ourselves. So we get put under the water, dying to ourselves. But then when we come back out of the water, we are risen again with Christ, leaving all of our sin, our shame, anything, any of those burdens that have been holding us back, we leave it dead in the water. And so... I want to end with this verse and it actually has my takeaway in it, which is really cool. But Acts 22, 16 says, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. And so I am saying that right now. If you feel that your heart is pounding in your chest and you're like, I need to do this. I'm scared, but I need to come down and I need to do this. We're here. Pastor Matt is here. He's ready to baptize you. We're going to sing another song about God's good plans for us because He only has the best plans for us. But while we sing this song, feel free to come down and Pastor Matt will baptize you. So let's praise our amazing God together. Thank you for tuning in today and thank you for continuing to partner with us and for giving so generously to this ministry. If you would like to find out more about how you can partner with us, visit our website at www.wherepeoplematter.church and click the giving link. And don't forget to subscribe and share this with your friends. See you next time.